welcome to Auto Amazing, guys. This is your host, Alien the Snake, coming to you live. This is our second video of this first season. Today, I will be reading chapters 4, 5, and 6 of The Hypnotist. And just another side note, guys, please, I can't say half of these names because they are in Swedish. So if I mess something up, I am truly sorry, but I am trying my hardest. And also, if you weren't here for the very first episode, and this is guaranteed to be the last time I announce this, I do two daily quotes a day, one before the reading and one after, and I use a spin the wheel app to pick the app and then to pick the section of the app. So let's get on with our daily quote. Now let's see what is it going to land on. guys I like this hidden feelings app so all right let's see which section guys alrighty I'm well an ad just popped up Jesus cursed guys all right so I'm just gonna pick a random one at random with this app and let's see I get section number Guys, we get a Hidden Feelings quote from the Hidden Feelings app. Isn't that just, like, super lucky? Okay, which one are we gonna do? Alright, our quote for this very first reading, guys, is, Along the way, I will stumble a hundred times, but I will get back up to my feet a hundred and more. I like that, although I don't really think that's much of a hidden feeling. So matches a positive uh, optimistic way of saying I'm never gonna give up, which is weird and actually kind of disappointing because I was looking forward to something that showed, like, the love of someone who is hiding it or something, you know, not, not, I'm never gonna give up, but I'm hiding it from everybody. I don't think anybody hides the fact that they don't give up, but it is still a good quote anyway. So, anyway, let us begin with the reading, guys. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 were last episode, so this time we're doing 4, 5, and 6. So, let's get on with it. The Hypnotist, Chapter 4, Tuesday, December 8th, early morning. Seven and a half hours earlier, and janitor by the name of Karim Muhammad arrived at the Roadstudge Hodge Sports Center. The time was 8.50 p.m. Cleaning the locker rooms was his last job for the day. He parked his Volkswagen bus in the parking lot not far from the red Toyota. The soccer field itself was dark. The food, the floodlights atop the tall pylons surrounded it long since extinguished, but a light was still on in the men's locker room. The janitor retrieved the smallest cart from the rear of the van and pushed it towards the low wooden building. Reaching it, he was slightly surprised to find the door unlocked. He knocked, got no reply, and pushed the door open. Only after he had propped it with a plastic wedge did he spot the blood. When police officers Jan Eriksson and Erland Jock Condor arrived at the scene. 
Erickson was straight to the went straight to the locker room, leaving Bjorkender to question Karim Muhammad. At first, Erickson thought he heard the victim moaning, but after turning him over, the police officer realized this was impossible. The victim had been mutilated and partly dismembered. The right arm was missing, and the torso had been hacked at so badly it looked like a bowl full of bloody entrails. Soon after, the ambulance arrived, as did Detective Superintendent Lemore Blom. A wallet left at the scene identified the victim as Anders Erk, a teacher of physics and chemistry at the Tumba High School, married to Katja Ik, a librarian at the main library in Hundinge. They lived in a row house at Gardisvagen 8 and had two children living at home, Lisa and Joseph. Superintendent Blom sent Bojurkander to notify the victim's family while she received Erkinson's report and cordoned off the crime scene, both inside and out. Bokander parked at the house in Tumba and rang the doorbell. When no one answered, he went around to the back of the row houses, switched on his flashlight, and shined it through a rear window, illuminating a bedroom. Inside, a large pool of blood had saturated the carpet, with long ragged stripes leading it and through the door as if someone had been dragged from where they'd fallen. A child's pair of glasses lay in the doorway. Without radioing for reinforcements, Erland Bokander forced the balcony door and went in, his gun drawn. Searching the house, he discovered the three victims. He did not immediately realize that the boy was still alive. While hastily radioing for backup and an ambulance, he mistakenly used a channel covering the entire Stockholm district. Oh my god, he cried out. They've been slaughtered. Children have been slaughtered. I don't know what to do. I'm all alone, and they're all dead. Chapter 5 Monday, December 7th, evening. Junalina was in his car on Dorotingshalomsvagen when he heard the call at 22.10. A police officer was screaming. The children had been slaughtered. He was alone in the house. The mother was dead. They were all dead. A little while later, he was radioing from outside the house, and calmer now, he explained that Superintendent Limor Blom had sent him to the house on guard Sivagen alone. But Jokunder suddenly mumbled that it was the wrong channel and stopped speaking. In the sudden quiet, Junalina listened to the rhythmic thumping of the windshield wipers as they scraped drops of water from the glass. He thought about his father, who, who had had no backup. No police officer should have to do something like this on his own. Irritated at the lack of leadership out in Tumba, he pulled over the side to the side of the road. After a moment, he sighed, got out of his mobile, and asked to be put through to Lamore Blom. 
Lamar Blom and Juna had been classmates at the police training academy. After completing her placements, she had married a colleague in the reconnaissance re division, and two years later they had a son. Although it was his legal right, the father never took his paid parental parenty leave. His choice meant a financial loss for his family as he held up Lamore's career progression, and eventually he left her for a younger officer who had just finished her training. Juna identified himself with Lamore when, when Lamore answered. He hurried through the usual civilities and then explained that he what he had heard on the radio. We're short-staffed, Juna, she explains, and in my judgment, that's irrelevant, and your judgment was way off the mark. You're not listening, she said. I am, but, well, then listen to me. You're not even allowed to send your ex-husband to a crime scene alone, Juna went on. Are you finished? After a short silence, Lamore explained that Erlen Bokinger had only been dispatched to inform the family. He had decided on his own to enter the house without calling for backup. Juna apologized several times, then mainly to be polite, asked what had happened out in Tumba. Lamore described the scene Erlen Bokanger had reported, pools and trails of blood, bloody hand and footprints, bodies and body parts, knives and culture thrown on the floor. She told him that Anders Eek, whom she assumed had been killed following the attack on his family, was known to social services for his gambling addiction. While his, office, while his official debt had been written off, he still owed money to some serious local criminal types, and now a loan enforcer had murdered him and his family. Lamore described the condition of Anders Eck. The murderer had started to hack his body to pieces, a hunting knife, and... A severed arm had been found in the locker room showers. She repeated several times as they were short on staff and the examination of the crime scene would have to wait. I'm coming over there, said Juna. But why? she said in surprise. I want to have a look. Now? If you don't mind, he replied. Great, she said in a way that made him think she meant it. Chapter 6 Monday, December 7th, Evening Fourteen minutes later, Junalina pulled up at the Rostage Sport Center, parking a few spots from the Volkswagen bus where the logo Johann's son's proxy care emblazoned on the side. It was dark out. Snowflakes whirled around in a biting wind. The police had already combed off the area cordoned off the area. Juna gazed across the desert soccer field, all of a sudden an eerie noise vibrating, humming, kicked off. Off to his left, Juna could hear snuffling, shuffling sounds and quick footsteps. Turning around, he could make out two black stilt houses walking in the high grass along the fence. The humming escalated and then abruptly stopped, spotlights encircling the soccer field exploded with light, flooding the center, 
while casting the surrounding area in even more impenetrable winter darkness. The two figures in the distance were ununiformed policemen. One walked quickly, then stopped and vomited. He steadied himself against the fence, his colleague caught up to with him, and placed a comforting hand on his back, speaking soothingly. Juna continued toward the locker rooms. Flashes of light from cameras burst through the propped open door, and the forensics technicians had laid out stepping blocks around the entrance so as not to contaminate any prints during their initial crime scene investigation. An older colleague stood guard out front. His eyes were heavy with fatigue, and his voice was subdued. Don't go in if you're afraid of having nightmares. I'm done with dreaming, Juno replied. A strong scent of stale sweat, gearing, and fresh blood permeated the air. The forensics technicians were taking pictures in the shower, the white flashes bouncing off the tiles, giving the entire locker room a strange, pulsating feel. Blood dripped from above. Juna clenched his jaw as he studied the badly mauled body on the floor between the wooden benches and the dental, dented lockers. A, a thin-haired, middle-aged man with graying stubble. Blood was everywhere, on the floor, the doors, the benches, and the ceiling. Juna continued into the shower room and greeted the forensic technicians in a low voice. The glare from the camera flash reflected on the white tiles and caught the blade of a hunting knife on the floor. A squeegee was a wooden handle with a wooden handle stood against the wall. The rubber blade was surrounded by a large pool of blood, water, and dirt, with whips of hair, band-aids, and a bottle of shower gel. A severed arm laying by the floor drained. The bone socket was exposed, lined with ligaments and torn muscle tissue. Juno remained standing, observing every detail. He registered the blood spatter pattern, the angles and shapes of the blood chops. The severed arm had been thrown against the tile wall several times before being discarded. Detective, the policeman posted outside the locker room, called out. Juna noted his colleague's anxious expression as he was handed the radio. This is Lamore Bloom speaking. How soon can you come to the house? What is it? Juna asked. One of the children. We thought he was dead, but he's alive. So guys, I know that this video in particular is exceptionally short, and I was looking further through the book earlier as in right after I finished reading chapters 4 through 6, I was looking at the chapters and I realized that a lot of them are an extremely short, like one to two pages. I think there's even one that's like a paragraph in here. So I've decided to quit sticking to a certain amount of chapters per day. I think I'm just going to do as many chapters as I feel like I should, just so that my episodes are longer and you guys can enjoy more of the book at a time. Because... I don't feel right giving you guys short episodes where you guys could be listening to more. You know, I don't I don't want to make the episodes too long and bore you and override you with too much information, but 
I really do feel bad about this not giving you enough information on this. Let me out! I'm stuck in your pocket! I was just going to, uh, change my mind on the whole sticking to, like, three to four chapters, and I think I'll do, like, I don't know. With this book, I'm not sure, but other books I might do, like, you know, five or six chapters at a time or something because I want my episodes to be longer and give you guys more of the book at a time so that if you guys want to avoid your families or whatever and choose to listen to me to do such thing, you know, you have a longer period of time to tell them that you're busy doing, you know, instead of just like 20, 30 minutes, which in my opinion is extremely short and I like reading, I really do, but I don't like reading at an extremely slow pace, and I don't ex like reading li a little bit at a time. And with this book, The Hypnotist, that seems to be the problem, is the short chapters, though it is a good book. Uh, I am going to ask you guys to leave voice messages so that I can figure out what you guys like about this, or if there's anything that you guys want to see me do later, you know, like... If there's, like, a certain book someone wants me to read and I actually have access to it, I can actually make it one of my seasons on here. Or I can do, if you guys give me a quote, I can share it. You know, I don't have to use my apps and I don't have to use the quotes that they give me. I can use the quotes that you guys give me, too. But that should be it for today. Let's do our... Daily quote for the ending, and then we will be done today, but I promise that my episodes after this one are going to be exceptionally longer, because I don't like the sh short stuff kind of stuff, so let's see which app we're going to use, and more importantly, which section of which app we are going to use. Don't you guys? It's like every time I turn around, there is an ad on my phone. Every time. And I don't get it. I honestly don't. So, let's see. Which app are we going to use today, guys? We're using my Lessons in Life app again. So, let's see which section we get to do this time. This time, we are going to be using my lessons in life app and more specifically a quote that's supposed to be of experience now if i can say one thing it's my last app doesn't exactly stick to their thing but i'm hoping that this one does because it'd be cool to find out a, a quote that is specifically on one thing you know because it it's like it's fun having something different every day. So our quote today is, Getting over a painful experience. It's much like crossing monkey bars. You have to let go at some point in order to move forward. Uh, I do like that. And that does just seem to be of wisdom, of experience. Uh, I know me, myself, I have experienced such things where I've had to let go of something but other than that, 
you know, the quote makes a lot of sense. So leave me a voice message, guys. Tell me what you think of the chapters, what you think of my idea of no longer sticking to a certain amount of chapters, and what you guys think that I should do in the future, or how you guys think of the book, or what you guys think of the quotes, or if any of you got a quote or a book to suggest, go ahead and suggest it. I'm open for suggestions. So that'll be it for today, guys. I will see you next time on Auto Amazing.